Hey, welcome back. Uh, you are watching On the Town with Tanya. And uh, I'm sending energy and light and love to all of our viewers tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in again, as you always do. Uh, <clears throat> have you ever seen a TEDx talk and wonder, how can I do that? Have you ever seen an American living abroad all the way in Japan doing comedy and coaching? Well, tonight's guest is uh, a coach to over 130 TED speakers. She's a five-time TED and TEDx speaker. And she's a comedian. Her stories move audience from laughter to tears to standing ovations. Her speakers impact change. And she is a very funny lady. Please welcome Sona Stevens. Hi. Thank you so much for having me, Tanya. Such a joy to be here. I wish I was there to give you a huge hug. <laughs> well, we're sending air hugs, air hugs. Um, so, so TEDx speaking coach and comedian. Wow. Uh, both of those require an audience to be effective. How did you end up doing that in Japan during the pandemic? <laughs> <laughs> How did I end up doing that in Japan during the pandemic? Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Uh, for comedy, it actually was one of the best things that ever happened for me for comedy because mm -hmm. the Tokyo scene is quite small, mm -hmm. but having the ability to travel around the world via Zoom was just massively life-changing, getting to enter festivals and competitions and being able to really focus and hone and work on my material and figure out, you know, what's working, what's not working and developing, focusing on the development of new material. That was absolutely phenomenal. I mean, didn't you find so? I mean, I've been on your show and I think what yes. you do, getting to work for like, you know, aging out foster youth and yes. doing kinds of charities like that, like the Biden campaign as well, doing shows for with actual real meaning yeah. rather than just like, look at me perform and be funny. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. You know, it, it's such a different experience. I and mean, how did you feel about it? I loved, I loved um, the, I hate to say it like that, but I loved the pandemic barring those that passed away. So I didn't love that part, obviously. I didn't like mm -hmm. the part that got sick, but the fact that people were able to hone into their passions and have the time to do it and not, and literally not have to go to work to, to be disrupted with your creativity. Right. Cause I call it disrupt this, disrupt, I can't even say the word. That's how terrifying it is to me. <laughs> <laughs> like, d d d you know what I'm saying? Oh, um, yeah, you sound like me. I've had long haul COVID for a year. Um, I had it for a year. And one of the symptoms that I got was I would slur and stutter my speech. So when you can't say disrupt, I'm like, I know that person. <laughs> Yeah, it's, uh, I do, do comedy speaking and I really couldn't get words out. The long haul COVID people are like, oh, it's just, you know, a body thing. It creates inflammation in the brain. Um, yes, but yes. yeah, very, very fortunate. The first vaccine actually eliminated my long haul COVID symptoms. Oh, and so now oh, I good. clearly oh, so that, helped? that helped. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently for 20 to 30% of long haul COVID patients, the yeah. vaccine helps eliminate the COVID symptoms. Really? Yeah, it, well, that's it, interesting. it was really, really fascinating. So yeah, everyone reacts and responds to it differently. Yeah, but no, I, was, I know. That's what I'm saying. I mean, you know, Colin Powell didn't have it so lucky, uh, but everybody's different, right? Everyone uh, is different. Uh, and yeah, I have to hear. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah, it's it's massively different. Of course, you know, I went for holistic methods first. I went for, oh. well, we, we had a very slow vaccine rollout here in Japan, but I did acupuncture. And it wasn't until week six of acupuncture and after having lost my taste for more than a year that I actually Ooh. got my taste back. What? I lost so, my taste for a year? How did you eat? You know, <laughs> you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, I had Jehovah's Witnesses knocking on my door and they were like, you know, 
we told you, <laughs> you know, it's bad when they're like, we told you so. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> they were like, you know, everyone in Japan is buying up instant ramen. I'm like, instant ramen, that causes gallstones. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get protein shakes. By the end of this pandemic, I am going to be ripped. Obviously, that didn't work out. So, but um, <laughs> I got these chocolate vegan protein shakes oh, and um, 13 bags of them a year supply. And I started drinking them and my darling, Yuji, my husband, I call him darling because that's just husband sounds so ownershipy. But, uh, you know, he was like, this, this stuff is nasty. I was like, it's not bad. You know, it says chocolate. It, it tastes kind of chocolatey and it, it was really good. And then after I got my taste back a year later, I was like, oh my God, this is horrible. Thank <laughs> God I've only got half a bag left. <laughs> um, so my imagination filled in the gaps of what should have been chocolate flavor, but- right. Wow, that's crazy. I, I'm ha I'm happy to hear uh, one good. That's a good story. Uh, that uh, that because uh, I know a couple of long haulers that's been having problems. But I'm gonna um, maybe the doctor probably suggested it by now, and I hope. But let's see, because uh, that would help. It's like nothing worse than dragging it out, you know. Um, so that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so how did you become a TEDx speaker? Before we talk about the comedy, that's that's very interesting. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, how did I become a TEDx speaker? Yeah. yeah. Or a speaker coach? yeah. What, what Actually, I'm the first TED speaker coach in the world. Really? Yep. That's oh, my, wow. Uh, Look at that. I created an industry back when people were like, you need a coach for this? I'm like, you would walk on a walk up on a TEDx stage without having worked through your your material and your ideas and where it comes from. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, I revolutionized the TED industry that way. Wow, that is fabulous. So was it helping people share their stories? Or was that the passion part that made you, you know, go, go into that? Or, or was well, it just you fell into it? No, no, actually, back in, um, back in 2009, I spent most of my my academic career um, <laughs> writing. I was the academic. I had this weird balanced economy of the academic versus the performer mm -hmm. and the writer. Uh, the creative, it was these these two things that I was always balancing out. Like I was uh, at the university publishing on uh, presentation skills and communication. Mm -hmm. So I'm published in three academic journals. I wrote Japan's first multimedia textbook. And that's all in the university systems as well and presentation skills because my Achilles heel growing up, and I think Tanya, you and I have similar childhoods, um, growing up the way that kids like us grow up, mm -hmm. communication can sometimes be a stumbling block. It can be the Achilles heel, the, the, the part that needs healing. Right. And yeah, yeah if anyone here can relate growing up in a home with, um, with abuse or being in the foster system or growing up homeless. And I know people say, uh, what is it? Houseless now? But I'm like, no, right. <laughs> we lived in a Volkswagen Dasher. <laughs> we weren't homeless. We lived this far from the street. <laughs> right. Um, or like me, I had lots, I had a home and a roof over my head. I just didn't have any food, lights, or water. Food is nice. Yeah. yeah. Food is I had a roof over my head. So what do you think garbage dumpsters behind the supermarkets are for? Uh, like exactly. Dumpster diving. And I was so thankful for uh for the times where we parked or we had a place uh to stay or apartment to stay for a couple months. I'd always be friend neighbors. But for those of us who may come from rougher backgrounds, mm -hmm. you know, getting, getting to be able to express oneself from one's heart mm -hmm. and feel seen and heard and give that love. And actually I believe speaking is 
it's not about you just being seen or heard. It's about, uh, it's an act of compassion. Right. You know, just like me, this person has felt pain. And just like me, this person needs to make a change. And just like me, this person wants to feel love. Mm. And wow. the act of speaking is not just about you, but it's an act of healing for yourself and compassion for others. Mm. And with that, you're creating something called love in action. Mm. I like that. Wow. So we that's where that came from. And the mm -hmm. writing and creative side is just, um, wow. you know, writing for Fox TV for years and uh, being on stage and national tour for 15 years and, uh, wow. you know, That's all sorts of, <laughs> but figuring out how to balance those out. I was like, I wonder, you know, I wonder how I can support other people in creating change in their lives and change for other people's lives. Because mm -hmm. for me, TED and TEDx, it's not about how many views you get. It's who's that one person whose life is going to be impacted and changed by this talk. See, that's, that's, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I've been asked to speak one year. I had like, I don't know, 17 speaking engagements and, and someone said, and sometimes I don't charge. Someone said, Oh, you can't under, underestimate yourself or something. They said, I said, I said, I don't go to speak to make money. I can always make money. I said, I go to speak because there may be one person in the audience whose life may be saved or changed. So I actually coined that, that phrase that everything I do is to save or change a life period. That's it. You know, that's it. Cause there's nothing. What is the point of going through trauma and drama? If there's nothing that comes out of it and no good soul or a person that says, wakes up and says, Oh, wait a minute, that's me. Maybe I don't have to commit suicide. Maybe I don't have to be the bad person. Maybe I don't have to, you know, maybe I can go get that million dollar job, whatever that is, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think those speaking, um, those, those, those um, speaking events, the TEDx, I love them because I'm sure one person in the audience is like the light goes on and that's really what it's about. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I once had, um, once had somebody come to me and I'm, uh, I, it, I don't want to sound awkward. I was saying like very choosy with who I work with, but I am very selective about who I work with because mm -hmm. it does have to be about that internal change mm -hmm. and creating that change for others. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's a very deep organic process. And I once had this guy come up to me, Tanya, and he said, you know, it's your job to get me one of the top 10 Ted talks in the world. I'm like, Whoa, not my job. Right. It doesn't matter how many people view it, it matters how many lives are changed. Right. Exactly. That, that's what we get to create. That's a, that's a beautiful opportunity. It's a platform in which to, to create an impact. Mm. And if you're not doing that, I mean, yeah, it's fine. You can have a light and fluffy talk. My Ted talk was super light and fluffy. Um, but there's always a line of impact in there for me. There's always this core values message and it does come back to, um, there's a phrase in Japanese called kokoro zashi. Kokoro means kokoro uh, zashi. It's heart's kokoro mission. Kokoro means heart kokoro. and zashi means to pierce. Yeah. So to pierce through the heart. And we spend a lot of time organically searching for your kokoro zashi, your heart's mission. Um, I, in case anyone's watching, like, why is this girl speaking Japanese? <laughs> I've lived in Japan for 25 years. Oh, and um, <laughs> This is not a virtual background. If I poke my finger back this way, then <laughs> <laughs> the paper will bust through. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's about That's finding good. your kokorozashi and your heart's mission and really starting with your values. Because when we start with your values, we're able to create um, a core thesis. And the core thesis is the thread that ties together your entire talk. Mm. And once we've created the thread mm -hmm. from there, we can start the the full um, audition piece first. Right. And then 
once you get booked, the full talk, the full TED style talk. And then we start the rehearsal process. Mm. Now, less like um, less rehearsal because that sounds like Shakespeare, Shakespeare on the Park. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's like going for a big play on Broadway. That's what it sounds like. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's like it's like your script. Here's your script. Let's learn this down to the T. Down to the T. Well, that's the thing. The best of the best TED speakers rehearse over 200 times. Yes. And so with that, it's not memorization. We focus on how to integrate it into your body and your soul. One of my speakers, Monica, um, she gave this great talk called The Flip Side of Loneliness. Mm. Powerful. It was a very different direction from where she wanted to start with. Mm -hmm. She was like, I'm going to talk about this. I'm like, we got to look at the trends of TED. And there's a talk that's gone viral in TED about that subject. Let's go back and look at your kokorozashi and filter through and just picked up a couple of words and boom, there it was for both of us. We're like, that's it. And that became uh, the flip side of loneliness. And Monica, she says, you know, I could give this talk while changing a flat tire. I'm like, yes, that's where you want to be. Yes. Yes. Because then you want to concentrate on uh, the energy that you're going to bring to it rather than, mm -hmm. what did I say? What word? Uh, I would have to really study that one really hard because my memory is <laughs> like, ah. Well, that's why it's integrated into the body. We work through not just the script and the and the writing of it and making sure that every word hits with impact. Mm -hmm. uh, it's more about, you know, also integrating it and the staging that comes with the neuroscience of it. And right. how do we, how do we create that? And then, you know, when you have that, you have competence. And when you have competence that creates, we first, let's go back to the kokorozashi, the heart's mission that creates conviction. Right. And that's, what's missing in a lot of people's talks is that conviction mm -hmm. state, mm -hmm. not about the, I believe state, but right the universal truth of conviction. Mm. And then from there, you have conviction. From conviction comes competence. And then from competence comes confidence. Right. And that's where we move towards. So. That is amazing. How long does it take you to develop uh, someone if they come to you about? Well, preferably three to six months beforehand. Okay. Every one of my speakers is different. Okay. Um, so some of us, we work on our talks for a year. Like my talk on miscarriage, what do you say? Mm -hmm. um, and also the one, that one took like, yeah, that took about a year to listen yes. to 600 women's stories of baby loss and be a representative of all of our voices together. Mm -hmm. um, so some people it takes a year. And I, I've been working with one of my speakers who's who exited out of a personal development cult. She was the top leadership of a personal development cult. And we've been working on her talk for almost a year. It takes time. Yes. And it, you know, when she first came, she's like, I'm ready to give a talk. I'm like, we'll take our time. Mm -hmm. Any, any pace is okay. You know, I'm not right. going to charge you a million dollars for like how long it takes because she's still in the healing process. Right. Um, whereas some people, um, like one of my speakers, Jesse, she, she's a psychotherapist in California. She was working with another coach who was like, yeah, you know, you could talk about anxiety. And she's like, oh, okay. And he's like, talk about, you know, when you slit your wrist and th stuff like that in high school and blah, blah, blah. And she's like, I don't know. And stuff she wrote, she came into the group and she was like, I know this sucks. And everyone in the group, she's like, that guy's talk sucks. Like <laughs> nobody's saying anything. And so she sought me out. We had a month to start over from the heart submission, the kokorozashi mm. through the organic process and get her ready for stage. Wow. So, uh, oh my God, the talk is phenomenal. I'm phenomenal. Sure. I'm sure if you're her coach, I'm sure it it's, was phenomenal. Because, uh, yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you, um, you really know how to find what's unique about the speaker that's going to mm -hmm. speak. You know how to bring that out. And that is that to me is the key to speaking. 
um, instead of sounding like a regular, okay, we're going to talk about this. And everybody says the same generic stuff. Yeah. You've got a tailor in. And that, that to me is what makes mm -hmm. the greatest TEDx talks is the person that honed into that mm -hmm. thing, that their je ne sais quoi that re resonates out into the audience, you know? So I have a funny way of saying things, but that's another thing, another saying. Well, that's the thing though, Tanya, that's also the valuable part of this process is your voice matters, how you communicate matters. And that's, I think that's something that you and I would probably both get both as communicators and comedians is not everyone is going to speak the same. There's no template no. for what we have to say. It's about listening to your voice and figuring out how could this best be communicated? And also looking at the tides because 2020 was a really rough year for a lot of us. Um, Ooh, all of us. Yeah. And when you think about that, you know, how is the audience going to receive information mm -hmm. and the trends that are happening in 2021, you can see a lot of audiences are turning off to certain kinds of talks and then they're turning on to others and how we create that, how we structure it is very different now, mm -hmm. especially for Jesse's talk on anxiety versus what we would do back in 2019. Exactly. It's a so yeah, the whole world is in a collective trauma. How do yeah. we make sure that they're not triggered, that they're not turned off? I know that that's another thing. And receptive. Yeah, the trigger part. I forgot about that. Yeah. That's a whole nother uh, thing that someone put me on uh, to that, that they were like, mm -hmm. oh, it, when you pay, play these, uh, like even if you play a TikTok or something like that, I forgot that there are things that could actually trigger people. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's a, it's going to be very interesting to see the future of TED, TEDx talks. Um, so, so for someone to book a talk, what do they do first? They have to go through you or they have, or if they're ready, if it was like somebody like Anthony Robbins, um, mm -hmm. they're already ready. What would they do? What would someone actually do if they wanted to do a TEDx talk? Um, well, so it's, it's different for each person. I'm not a person who does pay to play. I know okay. there are coaches who do that, like pay me $50,000 and I'll get you a TEDx talk. And, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, I believe in my speakers. If we talk together and I'm like, okay, um, I believe we can work together. Mm -hmm. And if I know I can get you on a stage, like not get you, like I'm not going to book you, but if I believe in your idea, then we'll be able to get you there. 97% of my speakers get booked to speak at TED or TEDx. Oh, fabulous. So that means that's just brilliant. That's on the other side, um, you know, if, if the idea is not quite there or if it's uh, a little too woo or something that wouldn't get received on a TEDx stage, mm -hmm. and there are a lot of talks like that, mm -hmm. uh, then we then I would point you off in a different direction. Okay. I'm very niche about what I do. So I okay. focus on the TEDx speakers and TED style talks. Mm -hmm. And I'll be very direct and very kind and loving while I say that, but I'll right. be very direct about, you know, for these reasons. For example, I have a, a speaker I'm working with now and you know, first thing was about shamanism and mm -hmm. we dug down and dug down and dug down. I'm like, you know, that's going to be considered, um, wooey pseudoscience. Yes. Um, not that it's wrong. I totally believe in this person. Absolutely phenomenal. Right. And we're digging through it. And then it was like, there it is. This one little phrase picked it up. Boom. I'm not going to tell you what it is because it's still me. under audition process. Yeah, let me know when it as the world opens up, but even there, there's something that's we're in the age of the, the citizen scientist. We're in the age of someone who can be an expert in a field without a PhD. Now there are TEDx events that are like PhDs on parade is what I call it. <laughs> you know, like we're all about PhDs and it's like, well, there's so much more valuable to life. Like I, I'm never going to get a PhD in baby loss or right. 
you know, how, how creatives should at, know, ask and get paid what they're worth. There's no PhD right. in that. It only comes from, you know, 30 years of experience in the industry or eight, eight losses, you know, those right. are things that uh, you can't get a PhD for. Right. So it's Absolutely. about finding what that is and finding the right event. So mm -hmm. I work with them. I work with you on your audition piece mm -hmm. um, all the way through that. Okay. We build that together and then work on the applications. They're kind of like a, they're kind of like university Ivy League applications. Right. Oh, point. imagine. Uh, and like, finding the right event for you because not every event is the right event for you. Right. Exactly. I get that. I totally get that. What yeah. um, before we take switch gears and take a break and mm -hmm. uh, and we'll come back and talk about comedy. Uh, what was your favorite TEDx and why? What was my favorite TEDx and why? Mm -hmm. Oh. See that I I can't choose them because that would be biased. Oh, <laughs> like, all my speakers, <laughs> all of them. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, the one thing I enjoy is I'm a collector of unique souls, mm -hmm. and everyone's talks are so different from uh, the art of um, artist and creating uh, water like sculptures. I have another one who on my Facebook all right now you can see Caesar Harada. He's a citizen scientist mm -hmm. and he's he cleaned up an oil spill with a robot right. in the ocean. Like this is the kind of stuff that he does. And so you've got environmentalists who are artists and scientists. Oh, you should see his new project. There's an oyster project mm -hmm. where he's it's it's art meets science meets engineering. <laughs> and it's just and environmentalism. It's beautiful. He's cleaning up the oceans in Hong Kong through oysters and this beautiful artistic pavilion floating in the water. Mm -hmm. um, check it out. It's on my wall. Caesar Harada. And then you've got talk speakers like um, like Barefoot Rob, who talks about emotional awareness through barefooting. Wow. And yeah, that's uh, grounding, right? Is yeah, that, it's grounding. I love that. Oh, it makes me want to go to the Netherlands and take off my shoes. <laughs> so every shoeless. One of my speakers is Karan. He's in India, and um, nice. you know when he first came, I was wondering, Tanya. Oh my gosh, he sent me over a script. I was like, oh, I don't know what to do with it. So he's like, I went to Harvard, and I went to Ivy League schools, and you, and you know. I got out of this and I'm doing this and I got a master's and a PhD and a law degree and, and you could be just like me. And, and I met up with him and I was like, Oh, wow. How do I say this? But um, I wouldn't put you on my stage. Uh, he's uh, like, what? And he's like, every other speaker coach I've talked to is like, yeah, we can work with this. I'm like, no, we can't work on this. Right. Um, but we started doing the Kokorozashi, the heart's mission work. Mm -hmm. And, um, going back to his value set. And I asked him a question I've never asked before and I've never asked since. And I'm not going to tell you that question, but uh, that was the foundation of all of his, all of his value sets. And from there, even, even doing the work that he does, he teaches rich kids how to get, um, how to get into Ivy league schools abroad and in India. And, um, but he also, what he never told anybody and what he doesn't tell his, even his employees at his school and his company mm -hmm. is that, after work, he goes into the slums and teaches those kids the same skills for free oh, because he feels brilliant. like it's so unfair. And then he oh, started that's brilliant. and they started mentoring these kids. And then, oh man, you have to tell me behind the scenes so I, I can find his TEDx talk. So that, oh, that's, yeah. That's it, well, that's really interesting because it's this part. He's like, I mentored this little girl, and every hour in India, mm -hmm. eight children are raped. I'm talking about infants. Oh, God, what? So he, he wanted to figure wow. out how to stop rape in India. So the talk is how to stop 
child rape in India education. Check it out. Karan Gupta. And Gupta. Okay. Yeah. So like I said, it's hard to choose a favorite when everyone is so unique and so different. And like these values, these these ways of impacting society and creating change are so valuable. How do you pick one? How do you pick the environment versus human life? Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's hard. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you put time in art? Right. Right. Yeah. You're so blessed to be in that field because you get to, you get to help uh, catapult that change and through many people, which is great. Most people don't get, you get, you get to do the thing within yourself, but do it with yourself and others is what I think what life is really, really about. That's when you really start living when you find that. Uh, so thank you. We're going to go to a quick break. I hope you don't mind. We have Sketch City uh, and we'll be right back in a few minutes. And we're going to talk about your comedy. Yes, because you're going to be in our show. Uh, uh, our Yay. show coming up. So I'm excited. Yay. We'll be right back, guys. Here we go. Uh, President Joe Biden. Uh, good evening, Mr. Biden. Where's my ice cream cone? Do you have my ice cream cone? Oh, um, <laughs> I'm sure in one minute you can have anything you want. You're the president. I mean, really. Uh, Mr. President, any comment on reporting, um, on deporting Haitians back to peril, disaster, and hunger? Yes. Yesterday I was at Baskin Robbins, and in the freezer case, yeah, they had Haiti between cookie dough and birthday cake. And the situation in Haiti reminds me of an old Irish poem that my grandfather would recite during troubled times. Hmm. Dickory, dickory dock. The mouse ran up the clock. I just peed my pants again. There's something wrong with my... <coughs> well, Mr. President, what's the status of the infrastructure bill that's stuck in Congress? Considering the infrastructure bill, I'm recommending that all members of Congress begin taking Metabucil in order to get this matter moving. Oh, well, Mr. President, um, how do you respond to criticism that your departure from Afghanistan was catastrophic? My son, Bo, Bo Diddley, always would say, don't step on my blue suede shoes. And that applies to Afghanistan also. Hmm. Well, Mr. President, um, this is the last question. I know you've got to go eat your ice cream. <laughs> uh, but Mr. President, do you have uh, a status update on reparations? I'm excited to announce that tomorrow I'm signing an executive order granting reparations. Reparation H. Well, okay. Uh, well, Mr. Mr. President, thank you so much for your time. And for those of you watching out there, this is uh, Channel One News, uh, Trudy Tirade reporting from the White House press conference room. Uh, and our time is done, but I thank you for watching. Until next time.
We are back. Thank you for watching on the town with Tanya. And I'm here with comedian and tennis coach, Miss Sonia Stevens. Thank you. I'm so happy um, that you are joining us today. So now comedy. Oh boy. I don't know how you are doing comedy girl all the way across the, the, the rivers, seas, oceans, plane rides. It's like, what is it like a 20 hour flight to Japan? Oh, um, it's, it's faster when you come visit me. I can't wait. Oh, oh, cool. oh this is awesome. Cause one day that is on my, that is on my to-do list for sure. You've um, always got a futon here with me. I've got a futon. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I already started taking off my shoes at the door. So don't worry. I got you on that. Um, <laughs> So how did you find comedy? How did I find comedy? Uh, comedy found me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not a rescue comedy. Com uh, comedy actually rescued me. Uh, no, I started doing comedy because I, I want to talk about social issues and things that are going to create a change in this world. And I wanted to find a more accessible way to mm -hmm. communicate those ideas that would open people's minds. And when people are laughing, they're learning. Mm -hmm. They're they're your brain is already in an expanded mindset. Mm -hmm. So what about, what better way in which to communicate besides a TEDx talk um, <laughs> and speaking, but to really be able to take it to the next level. So I knew from day one, I, I knew I wanted to talk about grief. I knew I wanted to talk about loss. I knew I wanted to talk about domestic violence and abuse and really deep heartfelt and homelessness. I wanted to talk about those kind of ways in a way right. that would create a shift in consciousness. Right. Good for you. I, I mean, that's a hard thing to do. Most people come in and they don't know what they want to talk about. And so I'm, we're, you're, we're like, we're alike in the way, in the sense that I knew what I wanted to talk about, but I still even haven't gotten to all of it. I, I foster care and what that looks like and how, you know, funny ways to just put in the mind like, oh, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Oh, you know, um, but it's a hard thing to do um, to tailor a niche, but, but you've mastered it. And that's, that's awesome. What was the first time you ever bombed? <laughs> Every <Remember> time? That? <laughs> <laughs> well, what I saw, but anyway. Uh, actually, you know, the first time you go out and everybody's like, oh my God, I'm going to bomb, blah, blah, blah. Weird, uh, weird. I didn't actually, I got, I got, I got hired to do a show after my first open mic, which I was super blessed with. Mm -hmm. And um, that show goes great because your first time out, everybody's like, yay, first time, we'll support right. you. <laughs> the second time is like, not her first time anymore. <laughs> like, all right, you better come through. It's like, right. learning. <laughs> oh my God. When I think of my first days, I'm like, oh, how torturous for everybody. But it's all right. Um, what's the first time you knew that being a woman in comedy was different than men? Like oh, um, offer sexual assault, all that. Actually, after um, at my first show, mm -hmm. um, and it was you know I hadn't been in the scene very long. I mean, I've been performing for years. You know, <laughs> I've been performing for years, and uh, mm -hmm. so quickly adapted. And my after my first mic, and I got booked for a show, I was like, I'm hiring a director coach immediately. I was like, I can suck for the next ten years, or I could suck less for the next ten years. I, I chose that option. Okay. Uh, but after my first show, a guy came up to me and said, you know, the only reason you got booked is because you're a woman. Uh, that always happens to me too. Yeah. And then same thing after every single show without fail in my small scene, there's a, there's one guy who comes up to me every time. Cause he's not getting booked. Um, he's like, you know, every time you, you, you're only getting booked cause you're a woman. And I'm like, the only reason the audience laugh is because I'm funny. Right. 
<laughs> but um, but it's not necessarily the case. Uh, I I definitely feel, yeah, the lineup, uh -huh. only one or two women per show. So I'm not getting booked every show because they have a you know a standard group of of old boys that yeah. have been doing it forever, and um, and they want to keep them on every single show. Right. And that's the thing is my homeboy. Yeah. That whole crap. Yeah. Uh, just, so uh, it is a lot harder. Well, um, it's really hard when you watch your jokes up on stage, like mm -hmm. what you see, what you've done, you know, your solid material and then see these other people do it. And you're like, you wouldn't book me for the show, but you're telling my jokes. Right. Verbatim. <laughs> right, <laughs> Verbatim. Right. Like when you're stuck, you know, I've had people do that, but, uh, but, that's the good thing about comedy is if you keep yeah. trudging long enough, you'll find your tribe. Yeah. Well, that's the beautiful thing about the world opening up via Zoom is being able to find, you know, find you and find, you know, find other. I was on a show this last week and six out of eight comedians were women. Wow. Fabulous. Well, what it, were they headlining? Were they headlining? I mean, all of us were. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it, Time-wise as well, the the longer time sets, um, it was me and another woman mm -hmm. who had the longer sets for that show. So we were headlining the, the show, nice. uh, but it, the energy was so beautiful. And this happens a lot in online comedy. You get to work with a lot of amazing women. Wow. And I, I, I find this uh, mind-boggling that I was like, are you kidding? Why didn't someone just tell me to go on Zoom? And I would have left all the other stuff alone a long time ago. Mm. Even now, um, only some comics are allowed in the uh, comedy clubs, which is fine by me. Um, I'm still going to stick to Zoom for now. Uh, I mean, mm. I go to, I've done live shows, but there's certain types of live shows or certain places outside, stuff like that. Um, but um, uh, what do you call it? Oh, gosh, I just lost my total uh, train of thought again. <laughs> Sorry about mm. that. Um, uh, if they would have told me that Zooms was this great, or could be this great, depending on how well you promote your show. I would have been mm -hmm. like, okay, I understand that we need an audience in order mm -hmm. to really get a true sense of if a joke works. I totally get that. But I think even in Zoom, I had one show that I will never forget because the audience almost made me forget that I was on a Zoom. That's how impersonal it was. Like literally, they all had their cameras on. They were laughing, saying stuff, interacting. You know, it was amazing. And, wow. it, and it wasn't even that many people. It was like 37 people or something. It was very small. It wasn't even a big amount. But you know, in a Zoom, that's a lot. It's like, whoa. Uh, but but the fact that they were interacting, mm. it, that's everything. That's every, And they tipped. Like $250 of tips or $240, whatever it was, came out. So wow. I had them all split the tips. It was nice. Uh, so it, it may not be perfect, but mm. I don't rule it out because... It's, if that's all I got, then you're not going to stop me from doing what I love to do. That's amazing. Yeah. And imagine all the people like it's been amazing to be able to have all my international friends join me in shows like, yes. um, you know, I, I was in the Burbank Comedy Festival online, yes. which was yes. amazing to do. Yes. And um, and getting to see friends from Florida, from New York, from Pennsylvania, from California, from Portland, from Vancouver, from Hong Kong and you know, like Australia having friends come from all over the world. Whereas, you know, if I'm doing it in Tokyo, and by the way, I do have, you know, some really great support here in Tokyo. That's but what if I was it's, ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, but it's more than, it's more than just that. It's, it's getting to be able to, to, 
<laughs> to be with other people around the world and friends around the world and make friends around the world. It's just exactly, a- exactly. We have the show yes. Friday uh, for our uh, guys. If you don't know, Friday is the show. Um, we have the link, go to the page and sign up for what's it called? For uh, I, something with all F something, something funny. Friday. Freaky, Friday. Yeah. No. Thank you. Freaky Friday. Wait, isn't that a movie? Movie. <laughs> <laughs> your Friday. Uh, that's Frightfully funny fundraiser. Frightfully funny fundraiser. Go to that page on my on Facebook somewhere. You'll find it and put press that you're going and the link will be there. It's going to be live. Uh, and some of you will get the actual personal Zoom to come into the Zoom anyway, but it's going to be live for everybody to watch. So uh, if you can try to check us out. And so Ness is one of our performers. Ralph Gandhi is, 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 uh, is headlining. Uh, we have Lou Savali from Africa that will be in the building. We have, um, so we have what, Japan, Africa. We have Miss Chocolate from D.C. Um, mm-hmm. And we have Tony Viagra from uh, Pennsylvania. So we're going to have a little international too, even though Ralph Gandhi is the head of our international comedians. Uh, he He has really brought people together and I appreciate him for that. So I'm so excited for this. I mean, so many amazing people. It is. I mean, I, I'm just uh, in awe. Like I'm still friends with people from India, from all over. And, and that wouldn't have happened if it wouldn't have been a pandemic. I mean, I am just, I am Miss Universal on the ground too. Like I'm Mm -hmm. from, it's from my, from my modeling days. I think, you know, Mm -hmm. I always, I always live with roommates from all over the world, literally when I modeled. So maybe that's why, but, but the zoom makes it even more. Like more so. And we have Zoom, not dates, but Zoom talks and stuff like, hey, what are you doing Saturday? Let's just hang out in the Zoom room. Okay. I mean, how corny are we? But I guess that's what you do, you know, especially in a pandemic. Um, But you, I saw one of your interviews um, and just to switch gears a bit. And uh, you said that uh, we were talking that you were talking about dating. Uh, I think it was a um, dating and where inappropriate things happen to women in comedy, something like that. It was one of your zooms. And uh, you had said that some uh, like in some some cultures, uh, if you're taking the dinner, it's expected that you put out. Uh, mm. You know what I'm talking about? So I, I saw that. I said, oh my god! But that's sort of like here 20 years ago. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's not it's not just uh not just other cultures. Uh, it's it was here. They don't say it. No one says it, but it's kind of a thing where people were like, okay, if I go to dinner, I don't believe that, but. Hmm. Or have women shifted their mindsets? You know, you've heard about Tinder, um, Tinder for dinner. Uh, No, I heard this, but I don't believe it. I didn't think it was a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I, I've, I've heard and known some people who, you know, they, they use Tinder for dinner. Um, that's how they. They get themselves fed. Maybe, no. maybe they're joking about it, but then there's like, are they, you know? No, I know people that, that would not be joking about that. that, that yeah. Yeah. But there's friends. Maybe the mindset has shifted. Well, I'm going to have to, you know, I, either I have to put out or he's going to rape me <laughs> or like there are certain expectations that I think women have adjusted to, to make sure that they're not hurt and traumatized. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean it's less traumatizing. And yes, you have more, you're more empowered if you're making a decision, but are we making decisions because we're empowered to make those decisions? Are we, or, mm-hmm. or are we, um, are we changing our view and expectations to meet what has been happening culturally and societally? And it's happened for since the beginning of dawn for, oh, yeah. for women. Yeah, I mean, so- why do you think there's so much segregation in the United States and that's in, in, in Japan as well? Like there's a lot of, um, we in Japan we are ranked number one hundred and forty-seven out of one hundred and thirty-five countries. Um, 
or 147 out of, I don't remember how many countries, 181 countries or something. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're one of the lowest ranking countries in the world for gender equality. And there are expectations, which is why uh, I I did a moth style storytelling event, my called dinner with my friend's rapist. Mm -hmm. And if you watched it, yeah, if you're triggered by that title, don't watch the talk. But if you're intrigued by the title, go, go watch it. It's a, it's an interesting story. And um, I'm not going to give away the spoilers of it, but there are expectations on women that if you go to dinner, you're expected to put out. And if you don't give it of your own volition, they'll just take it. And wow. that's, that's still happening around the world. It's not isolated. Well, also, um, I mean, it's in relation to comedy, I believe that there is a lot of... Um, uh, female comedians, especially like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, mm-hmm. that were out here trying to be comedians and they fell into guys who said, I'll give you time, but you got to do X, Y, and Z. And then awkward things with drinks and whatever may mm-hmm. have happened. And, you know, it just, it's a thing. Uh, I heard a lot of stories, especially like before the pandemic, I had heard mm-hmm. a couple of horrible stories about people. And I was actually mm-hmm. shocked. I was like, oh, it won't be me. I don't want no stage time that bad. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so, I don't know. Um, it is something I think women, you know, with the pandemic, this is our time to take our matters in our hands by having our own shows. Um, and we can go around to restaurants and bars or wherever places are that you have the shows and ask people, do you mind if I do a show here and start booking our own shows? Because and being and booking women as headliners. That's what that's what I think we have to take the power in our hand because once they see that. It's going to be awkward that they have all male shows. I will never watch an all male show um, for me because that's boring to me. It's like too much testosterone. I can't do it. <laughs> well, know? that's the thing as well. When you have more women headlining, when you have more women performing, we start changing the face of what's funny and what's not funny. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we're having a serious conversation today. There's no like funny haha moments happening. Um, and and it, that's just the reality of conversations. But women have uh, different different ways of communicating what's funny to them. Um, I do. I, I'm like, I'm a storytelling comic in a land full of a lot of one-liner comics. Right. So, you know, it, like, oh, you know, it, it'd be funny if there was more punchlines. Like there's, you know, there's laughs every four to six laughs per minute right. and there's tape to prove it. Right. Um, but if you hear the story, they're like, oh, but you know, well, that's a very masculine. So think about it. The knock, knock joke. And only a man could have invented the knock, 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 joke. <laughs> knock, knock, who's there? Boo, boo, hoo. Ha, 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 ha. It's like right. so brief. Like if a woman were to tell that joke, you're like, okay. <clears throat> First of all, there's this door. <laughs> it's made of mahogany and it's got this beautiful knocker and it's got a lion sheep crest on it. All right. So, and then wrapping upon the door, you know, it's a little bit more descriptive and you yes. go into more like punchlines yes. throughout, but there is yes. more description that comes with it. Well, no woman would have ever come up with a knock, knock joke. But, no. The style of comedy changes and shifts, but if you think about it that way, we also can see a shift in how humor is received and giving women back the power, inviting more women to the shows. Because you think about this way, the audience is mostly men going out with on guys' nights or going out with a date. So you have less than 50% of women in the room. But when you start having more female headliners and more females uh, performing in general, you get more women in the audience because you got five women going out like, hey, you know, women are more social creatures. Yeah. We we want that social connection going out like, hey, do you guys want to go out to this? Like, yeah, let's all go. And wow, this is fantastic and funny. I can relate to the humor on stage. Yes. And when you can relate to the humor, that's what makes it funny. 
Yes, exactly. I, I don't want anybody to tell me women are not funny. I was like, that's because you wasn't raised by a woman. Um, <laughs> that's, that's why it's not funny, but it's okay. Um, so if what advice would you give someone new to comedy, um, preferably living in Japan? I see. I, I tried to look up how many mics on badslava.com. I feel like I saw about five in Tokyo. Mm -hmm. I could be wrong. Yeah, there are only a handful of them. <laughs> I was like, wow, that's it? But that's like where I live too. Is like maybe if you're lucky, a guy just opened a comedy club here actually. But yeah, there's not many. Yeah. No, there's not actually like a proper here's our stage and venue for comedy or anything right. like that. It's just mics in different places. Uh, yeah. The question was, how how would you recommend people get into it? Yeah. How would you recommend uh, if you someone started today and saw you and said, oh, I want to do that. I want to well, do that. Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that I feel like I missed out on was a sense of community. Mm. And um, when I started, there was a one class and it was fantastic. BJ Fox, he, mm. you know had an intro to comedy class and I signed me up and um, one of my best friends, I was like, Hey, let's do this together. I think it would be really fun. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, happy birthday. <laughs> and she's like, thanks for the birthday present. <laughs> and it was like, it's probably not the best birthday present to give someone else, <laughs> but actually she had a fantastic time and she loved it. And she did an open mic and she loved it. English wow. is a second language for her, but um, mm -hmm. she really, really enjoyed it. Wow. And, um, and then I, I thought we were going to continue together and ended up just being me continuing. What was missing was a lack of community. So what mm -hmm. I'd recommend is, you know, cause they're like comedy is a, is a solitary process. Mm -hmm. And later on, I learned that people in New York and London and California, they meet up every day of the week, you know, five days a week of coffees with other comedians in coffee shops, discussing yep. ideas and premises and like, Oh, I got this metal straw. And then everybody riffs around that metal straw concept. Right. Um, so I realized that comedy doesn't have to be an isolating process of solitude. Mm -hmm. It can be something to create together. And so I'd recommend taking classes, mm. get started with some solid footing. Mm. And again, the pandemic has opened up so many comedy schools online. Yes. That you're able to participate. Um, Manhattan Comedy School is a good one. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Yeah. I took a couple classes at Burbank, um, uh, Flappers Comedy Club in Burbank. Oh, Flappers. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, once you start doing mics, I, I immediately started working with a coach and director because I knew that I wanted to progress. I knew I had a message that I wanted to share. And my first year in comedy, you know, like, it's like, you know, spend time to learn about joke structure so that when you do talk about these serious, serious subjects, it can come across more palatable, more receptible. Exactly. And that was a big thing too, because it's hard to go up and go like, what baby dad? <laughs> um, you know, like it's really, it's a really delicate way to bring these things in like, you know, sexual assault on trains. Ha ha ha. It's about finding, finding that, that balance. So I'd say work on the structures first, right. Find a, uh, find a teacher, find a class. So mm. it's not a solitary experience. Mm. I run something called the stand up comedy writing mastermind, and it's a free environment for people to get together and brainstorm, tighten jokes, um, mm. work on their material. It's not a, like a, it's not a, feedback mike it's a let's sit down and write together like we're in a coffee shop in london that's awesome yeah, yeah so that's awesome. is that exactly. on zoom or is it live it's zoom zoom it's every nice. uh, for america it's monday nights at 8 p.m est let me write that and, down so how do they find it uh go to stand-up comedy writing mastermind on facebook and it's a very 
positive support focused group. Everybody gives positive feedback. There is no criticism. There's no like, your joke sucks. You're terrible. Um, <laughs> there's none of that. It's all, it's all just, you know, how can we make this funnier for you? And how can we support you? And that's the question we ask at the end of like, you know, what's your intention for today? And uh, how can we best support you with that? Right. Wow. Well, thank you. How can we best support you with that? With that being said, thank you for supporting us and come on on the town with Tanya. We appreciate you so much. I can't believe the time has flown by so fast. Uh, it's amazing how quick uh, things go. But any any last words before we end? Um, uh, come, come check us out on Friday at the Frightfully Funny um, yes. Frightfully Funny Fundraiser. Yes. And um, if you'd like to know more about getting booked to speak at TED, you yes. can message me or you can go to my website. On your website, right? Yourspeakingjourney.com. There it is. Okay, guys, your speaking journey. It'll be on and people can see it. So that's good. They'll, they'll loop around. But thank you, guys. And I thank you so much for checking us out. You hear that, right? Better go while we can. Uh, bye, guys. We will see you all soon. Bye. Stay on, stay on for one moment.